0: We're going to go ahead and jump in this morning to week four of this series. In Ephesians chapter four, verses one through three, Paul writes these words. It says, therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit." In the bond of peace. In our series, we've been discovering what it looks like to preserve unity. I hope you guys know we we are not called to create unity, but rather called to preserve unity. All the while, uh, we are preserving it while celebrating the difference among us. Because everybody next to us comes from diverse backgrounds. We are very different in our makeup, and our character, all of those things. Uh, We are learning in this series how to preserve God's world-changing social experiment, which is also called the church, right? Um, We're learning how to bring unlikes and difference to the same table to share life as a new kind of family. All the while, we recognize that uh, when we do this, we show the world what love and justice, what peace, what reconciliation, and what life together are designed by God to be. The scripture tells us very clearly that we are going to be known by our love for one another or that we're going to be known as God's disciples by our love for one another. And that means loving one another even though we're different from one another, right? So we've got to do this. Up to this point, we've talked about the need for grace and for love in accomplishing this goal, um, For a more in-depth look at these two ideas, I encourage you to go back and listen to last week's message and the week before, Uh, and if you want a deep dive into the concept of love or the concepts of love, uh, in this week's Critically Biblical Podcast, I took a practical approach to 1 Corinthians 13, which is often referred to as the love chapter. It's also also quoted all the time in weddings, although that's not Paul's context at all, and so we, I look at that in a, more, you know, in a more detailed fashion, and I encourage you to check that out because it really has everything to do with this series. It has everything to do with diversities coming together and supporting one another and loving one another. Today, although love and grace are always a part of our messages, uh, we're going to shift our focus to the new life that we've been given in King Jesus so we're going to look first at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. These are the words of God. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. And what Paul goes on to say is very inclusive, right? He, he, he covers everybody, even Jesus. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him no longer in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. In Koine Greek, there are two words for uh, new, right? And with Greek, you have uh, the masculine forms of words, the feminine forms of words, and the neuter forms of words. And the first term uh, for the masculine would be neos, And then the feminine would be nea, and then the neuter would be neon. And so when you go to Blue Letter Bible or something, and you look something up, and you go, that's not exactly the same as that one, make sure that you understand that there's also gendering inside of the terms in Greek, right? And so this first word, uh, this first word of uh, neos, is actually related to the English word new in that Uh, they mean a new or fresh example of something already known. A new or fresh example of something that's already known. You might want to think of something like Henry Ford as an example. When Henry Ford created the Model T, uh, automobiles already existed. Okay, So he wasn't creating something from scratch. He was simply giving a fresh example of something that was already known. This is Naos. Yesterday in our... Men's Breakfast, we were talking about this very concept of newness, and uh, Logan Matson, who is the area director for uh, Young Life at West Claremont, he was sharing a really cool uh, uh, example of this as well. He said that if we're going to talk about something that is just a, a rehashing of an old idea, a new uh, version of an old idea, he, he offered up the co- a cover song. Right, So if you hear a band playing a cover song, it's a song that was already known, but they give their fresh rendering of it. So maybe that's the way you want to understand that first term, neos. The second term, uh, and the one that we're going to be focusing on today, is kenos. Uh, in the feminine, it's keni, and in the neuter, it's kenon. But um, kenos is a term that describes an entirely new type or concept. Now, this is huge, an entirely new type or concept. So, so if we were to go back to the Henry Ford example, we wouldn't look to the Model T, but we would look to the assembly line, something that is not understood. And even if that's understood or even if that might have been understood before, let's go to Logan's analogy and let's push that one even further. That would be like having a new song created by a new artist in a completely new genre. This is something never before seen or understood. It's a new type and a new concept. In Revelation 21, John writes these words. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. The term here for new is our word Canos. What John describes is not simply a remaking of something old right, Uh, like like God is just going to freshen up this mess that we've created here. Instead, when we understand the term correctly, we understand that John is giving us uh, an idea of a new heaven, a new type of heaven and earth, an entirely new concept. And honestly, all that we can do in order to understand that really is to speculate a bit about it. For example, when John says, and it seems odd that he puts this here, he says, a new heaven and a new earth, and there is no longer any sea. And everybody goes, that's no fun. We need beaches in heaven, right? Okay, fine, I get that. I I understand that. I'm more of a mountain guy, but cool, that's fine. Uh, But that's not what John is referring to either. Why do I know this? Because he lived in a different world, and a different context, and he understood things in a very different way. If we were to understand ancient Near East cosmology, we would finally figure out what it is that John is saying here. Most likely, John is saying that there would, be no, long, there would no longer be any evil or darkness, right? The sea was where Leviathan lived. The sea was where chaos dwelt. A new heaven and a new earth, if we're going to understand it as an entirely new concept, would be a new heaven and a new earth where there is no evil. Now what's beautiful about that is that this is confirmed all over the scripture. There is coming a day when there's going to be no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering, no more sorrow. None of the things that are caused by the evil that is present in our world. And it might be hard for you to fathom this, but uh, the idea of something altogether new doesn't mean that God has to create a square globe, right? (laughs) It doesn't mean something weird has to happen. It can mean something that we are so not used to. And the truth is, we were born into a world where there's evil. And so to understand a world without it is entirely new to us. Likewise, Paul employs the same term in 2 Corinthians 5 concerning our new life in Christ. And this is where it gets really eye-opening and life-changing. Again, we're not talking about a fresh example of something that's already known. Our new life in Jesus is not, hear me church, I repeat this, is not a second chance. You could be given a thousand chances, and you'll screw every one of them up. Nobody's liking this right now, right? I I don't know. I could give it a shot. You gave it plenty. Trust me. Okay? Our new life in Jesus is not a second chance. That is not Paul's point in any way, shape, or form. Instead, we are embracing an entirely new type of being, a being that finds its source, its animation, in King Jesus, or rather, King Jesus in us. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Just as Paul said that uh, they no longer knew Christ in 2 Corinthians 5, they no longer knew Christ in the manner of his flesh, we are no longer to know ourselves or one another in this old way. The old things have passed, the kenos things, the new things have come. So what are these new things? This is the all too important question here. You see, what makes us new can't be our physical body being changed. You know how I know that? Because I'm still looking at all your old bodies, <laughs> right? And I have to look at mine every day, right? So it's not our physical bodies that's not been changed. It's also what makes us new can't be that we no longer make mistakes. You know how I know that? Because I still do pastoral counseling, <laughs> right? Right? mark got it that was awesome right because we're sinful we're broken people does that mean that we're marked by sin no of course not but the bible is clear if we sin God is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness he tells us we're to confess our sins one to another why because we have it and we need to do it amen So what makes us new has to be something altogether different. And this is where it's going to get challenging for you. It has to be something that we once shared with Christ Jesus. What? Just as he was once flesh and is no longer regarded this way, we are no longer regarded this way either. What am I getting at in this? Well, it can't just be sin, right? It can't just be sin. Why? Jesus didn't sin. Apparently, there is something more that the Bible means by flesh apart from sin. Colossians 1.22 says, Yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death. Jesus reconciled us through his fleshly body in death. It doesn't imply sinful body, right? In order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. The answer to the question that we're talking about, I believe, is all about justification. What makes us a kenos creation, an altogether new concept or type of creation, is that through King Jesus, we are holy, we are blameless, and we are beyond reproach. Isn't that fascinating? We are blameless, we are beyond reproach, and we are set apart. That's pretty fascinating to me. We're all former prodigals, each and every one of us, lost sons and daughters, put back inside God's house, celebrated because of the Father's grace. What makes us truly kainos, what makes us truly new, is that we don't seek to justify ourselves through works any longer. That's an entirely new concept for us. We already stand justified by grace through faith in King Jesus. And this is what is meant to live by faith or to live according to the Spirit. Jesus lived in the flesh. Jesus didn't sin. We live in the flesh. This is an old type of us. But there is a new type of us, which is a type that lives by faith and a type that lives according to the spirit that dwells within us. Did you notice back in that Galatians passage, it says that now Christ lives in me, Christ in me. This idea is that the one who is, the one who is acting out, the one who began the good work in you, that's carrying it on to completion, is the one that is actually living in and through you. Does that mean that you can't tell him to stop and you keep trying to be a pain in the neck? (laughs) Well, you are, right? You can be a pain in the neck. I can be a pain in the neck. But here's what's happening when that happens. It is not that we're losing our salvation somehow. It is not that we run from Jesus per se. But instead what we're doing is we're forgetting that we are chaos. We are forgetting that we are altogether new. And we are remembering something that we have no business remembering, which is the old self, the self that should be dead, the self that should be gone. The self that was at one point at war with God and is now at peace with him. Ephesians two thirteen through 16 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. He is. Not something in the world. He is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh, not sinful humanity, but in his humanness, the enmity which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so that in himself he might make the two into one new man thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both, Jew and Gentile, in one body to God through the cross, by it having put, it having put to death the enmity. The scripture is filled with this storyline, this idea, that man wants to continue to justify himself, and that there's no way we can do it. Not with a second chance, a third chance, or a thousandth chance. This is why this idea of of all these chances is actual hogwash. It's not going to get us anywhere. There is never an instance in which you can pick yourself up by your bootstraps and win Jesus' favor. Do you know that? It just doesn't happen that way. Instead, if you want to honor the Father, if you want to trust in his love, you know what you do? You just go home. You just go home. You trust him. You just go home. You were safe there at one point. And then we ran, right? And then we ran, and then we tried to justify everything in our lives. Church, we are new in that the work is already done. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. Our newness, church, is not evidenced. By a fleshly striving, but by faith in the one who began the good work in us. Galatians 5.1 says, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Did you catch that? It was for freedom that Christ set you free. It was not for bondage that Christ set you free. It was for freedom that Christ set you free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to, yo- to a yoke of slavery. What is the yoke he's referring to in Galatians? A yoke of self-justification through your works, through the law. Listen to me, church. The law is not the problem. It's what we keep doing with it that is the problem. It is using it for a purpose other than what God designed it for. If the law was simply to be a mirror to reveal that we are awful, then we should just use it as a mirror. We shouldn't use it as a license to walk into places and to get ourselves checked into God's house. It does not work that way. God doesn't need to to know who you are based on the mirror. He knows who you are because he sees your heart. He knows who you are because he sees every piece of who you are. We are free because of what Jesus has done. This is all part of being chaos, new Completely new. Something altogether different than what we've gotten ourselves into. Here's where this becomes extremely practical. This understanding of chaos, of newness, changes how we view ourselves, how we view others in Christ, and how we live out our life. Let's deal with ourselves first. In my newness... In the knowledge that I am justified and I am free and that I am one with my king, right? In that knowledge, here's what I know. Romans 6, 18. Having been freed from sin, you became slaves to righteousness. Wait a second, Nathan. You just said it was for freedom that we have been set free. Ah, Listen to these words from Scott McKnight. To be sure, we are free. But this does not mean we can do what we want. Liberty is not license. Liberty is not license. No, in fact, Christian liberty is constrained by love. Love both guides and constrains us. If we are committed to be with others and to be for others in such a way that we grow into likeness, we will not live in a way that destroys the faith development of our brothers and sisters. Why would you obey in your freedom, for the person next to you, for the people around you, for the glory of your king, that's why you would obey. Romans 8:2 says, "For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death." So you were set free from something, right? Church? Sin and death. But you were saved and set free to something as well, right? Life. And the Spirit of God. This is a beautiful, beautiful thing. When it comes to ourselves, I think the challenge, and this is, a, this is just a candid moment of my own personal issues, I suppose. Seeing myself as a new creation is hard. Did you know that? It's really hard. And here's why, because the old self reminds me of its presence every day, (laughs) right? The tent of this flesh, that reminds me every day. There's nothing wrong with what God created, it's just what I did with it, right? This reminds me every day. I'm afraid that in the world I'm reminded of my old self. Why? Because my sins have effects, and they often don't just go away. So it's really easy for us to embrace forgiveness in the theoretical concept, but it is hard for us to walk in forgiveness because the effects of our sin keep walking with us. But I knew... and that is life-changing. I'm new. I'm not even the old version, or a new version of the old Nathan. I'm not even that. Who am I? Christ in me. Who am I? I am who Jesus has made me to be. I am a fellow brother and sister in Christ. Brother, because I'm not gender neutral. Anyway, right? Right? <laughs> Not fluid here, okay? <laughs> I had to throw that one in there anyway. <laughs> the reason why we struggle with this personally, why I struggle with being chaos, is that our complete freedom is and is yet to come. <laughs> Isn't that annoying, right? It's It's what... John Wimber of the Vineyard used to call the now and the not yet. He got this from George Eldon Ladd, but, you know, it's still the point, right? The the now and the not yet of the kingdom. How many of you know that you're saved? How many of you know that 2,000 years ago you were saved, though? <laughs> what? That doesn't mean 2,000 years ago, God chose who he wanted to save. The point is that 2,000 years ago, the death on the cross that paved the way for your salvation was done. You were saved. You know that you are saved right now because you believe in King Jesus, and guess what? The Bible also te- tells us that you will be saved. Well, that got it, which is it? Yes. All of them, right? You were saved, you are saved, and you are being saved, or will be saved, right? Right? Well, the same thing is true of the newness of life that we are dealing with. Romans 8.23 says, "And Not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown with our, within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of the body. In case you were wondering what the adoption is, Paul tells you what the adoption is. The redemption of our body, right? That old thing, will completely conform to this completely new concept at some point. But as it stands, we're still stuck with it. And what we have to do is live by faith. And living by faith is yet again believing something that has been stated as true, even though the world around us and the evidence around us can sometimes seem opposed to it. Amen? So I look at myself in the mirror and I see old Nathan, but I know that Christ declared me new, which means I choose to believe him. Amen? Okay, now we're going to get to something real sticky. And that is, let's say I believe that and I come to that conclusion, but you don't. This is where life gets really hard. This is where unity comes into this message. This is where preserving unity comes in, in a very um, uh, amazing way and a hard way. And that is, it's hard enough for me to believe and to trust that I'm new. Can you imagine how hard it is for you to trust and believe that I am new? When all that you do get to see is usually the effects of my sin and the stupidity. Of course, the Bible says you will know them by their fruit. And that's great, but that's not always evident. And I'm not looking at you for any reason, Jonathan. <laughs> right? So, I just love you. So it's really interesting when it comes to our relationship with one another. This becomes a big challenge. And so I'm walking in my freedom, I'm walking in new life, I believe in chaos. I believe that I am a new creature, completely different than ever before, and then a fellow Christian comes up to me and says, actually you're a piece of crap. Actually you do everything wrong, actually this, 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 and they've got a laundry list of things that they can't forgive me for or hold against me. Or it's those moments where our husband or our wife remind us of everything that we've ever done wrong. Mark liked that joke too. (laughs) I want to point out that Darlene's not here, so he's allowed to laugh. Okay, so this is really important. But it's really hard, and this becomes a real sticking point to unity, because it's my lack of faith that you are new that makes me push you away every time I see you as the ideology you present every time I see you as the collection of sins I know you to have every time I see you in these lights the problem is that I'm actually not believing in chaos, and therefore I'm not chaos again I'm back in my flesh. Because I can't see you apart from your flesh. This is challenging, isn't it? Now let me ask a very important question. How many of you feel this level of judgment and this level of condemnation when you're in the church because of all the things you've done? Whether it's from people you're close to, people who just know, maybe it's family members. How many of you have felt this kind of condemnation or guilt or shame? You felt like that old self, right? Because the only thing that you can see from them is the things you've done wrong. This is tragic. This is really hard for us to walk in. But the Bible gives us answers to all of this, and it says in Romans 8, 1, something that we have to believe by faith, and we have to believe for others by faith, and that is, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say... On Sunday, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But once Monday rolls around, you're back to your old mess. No, there's no condemnation for you. This is an entirely new way to live. Ephesians 3.12, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. We just talked about our, our frustrations with people judging us or the the fear that we have in that or the reality that we've experienced in that and guess what we're not supposed to walk in that that's old self we're supposed to walk in kanos which is boldness and confident access through faith how many of you have your prayers hindered because you actually think you're not worthy of god come on raise your hands if you say i just i, I stopped praying i didn't pray because i feel like god knows and he's mad at me right Here's what you failed to remember. You are new. You are Kainos. You're a new creature. You're not that old self. Does that mean that correction doesn't come in the church? No. But let me give you an example of maybe how that correction could go that might make us better in this arena. If you walk in sin and you have a brother or sister that takes scripture seriously and wants to hold you accountable, it is not good for them to say, what the heck are you doing? How many of you like dad voice with that kind of stuff, right? What are you doing? It automatically makes you scared. It makes you run in fear. But wouldn't it be amazing if fellow Christians, and I'm guilty of that, wouldn't it be amazing if fellow Christians looked at you and said, hey, I see, I see what's going on, but I just want to remind you. You're Canos, You're new. That doesn't look new. Just, I want you to know that. It doesn't look new. Which correction would you rather have? The first or the second? I like the first, but anyway, we'll go with the second, <laughs> right? Of course we want that, because what we want is to be reminded of something that is true. Otherwise, we live in this doubt of what is, and then we start to act like what was, I know, confusing. You can go back to the tape for that one, right? If we really can understand who we were and who we are now, we will be able to look at each other not as who we were, but who we are now. Do you understand what I'm saying? If I understand who I was, sinner, saved by grace, and I understand who I am now, kainos, new creation, then I can look at you... And you can look at me and not see sinner, chapter 2, go for it, read it out, it's probably biblical and needed right now, so anyway, right, so, it's awesome, Jesus is speaking to me, literally, through his word right now, (laughs) I can't get him off, I would suggest the attempt to get him to shut up is probably the downfall, so. That's not Kainos, okay? Anyway, okay. So, so if I understand sinner saved by grace, then when I look at you, I can actually not see sinner. I can see saved by grace, right? Leo Tolstoy said something that is just unbelievably powerful. He said, when you understand everything, you can forgive anything. You want to know what holds us back from seeing each other as chaos? We don't understand the sin of another because we think we're better. But if you just take some time and look in the mirror, and I'm talking to everybody here. I don't care if you're David and you've murdered somebody or you think your only sin in life is a little white lie, which is a big white lie, right? <laughs> right? So if that's the case, the truth is you can relate. You have been forgiven much, church. I have been forgiven much. And if we understand this, we can start to see each other in a very, very, very different way. So, this is about unity. This is about us living together. This is about us celebrating our difference. This is about us walking in a way that the world looks at and says, Oh my goodness, I want to be a part of that. We have to see each other as what we are. Chaos. A new creation. Something altogether different. All together.